Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, hey, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. 847-866-WNUR is the number here in studio. Hey, be one of our listeners who gets to have their say live on the air. Call us. 847-866-9687. All right, Stuart Copeland's opera, The Invention of Morale, opens at Chicago Opera Theater later this month. On our show tonight, cast members Nathan Graner and Valerie Vinzant tell you why seeing this production will be the highlight of your February. After the break, Oliver and I continue the conversation about opera in Chicago, including a look at last weekend's performance, Chicago Voices Gala Concert. That's in 20 minutes and, of course, you get all your opera headlines and our hot takes on them in the two-minute drill. That's at 940. Oliver Camacho, good to see you, sir. Oh, hello. Did you say gala? I said gala. Should yeah. I have said gala? I think so, yeah. I mean, especially with me around or gala. Gala. I don't know. You said you said gala. I like, said gala. Like, yeah, it was a very like I don't know. There's an IPA. Or is that you guys know apple? IPA, right? What is the sure. IPA? Number forty said. <laughs> I'm gonna go with gala. <laughs> yeah. right. What about gala? <laughs> 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 All right, I, let's cut right to the chase here. Let's go inside the huddle with our two guests. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. And indeed, those two guests are Nathan <laughs> Graner. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm just fantastic. <laughs> How are you, George? I'm good. And Valerie Vinzant. Howdy. We haven't talked about the Super Bowl yet. It's like the day after the Super Bowl. Aren't we still like tingling with excitement? Take. Uh, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. When we've been in rehearsals. We got out of a rehearsal. Now, our, our director is a big football fan, but, but we're talking soccer. So, oh, of course, okay. we have rehearsal during the, the first part of football. Yeah. You know, and we get football. out, and, and the Patriots are getting demolished, and, mm-hmm. and we're like, yeah, okay, well, that's, that's done. And uh, I, t- I actually literally turned off the television, mm. so I didn't even, and I started recording some other music on my on <laughs> What my were you phone. doing, Valerie? Um, let's see, I was on a dinner break. And yes. then I came back, and I was not too happy about the Patriots coming back. So oh, yeah. I was rooting for the Falcons good. all the way. Good, good, good. So we're, I feel like there's like a parallel between like the result of this game and like maybe the political situation in our country. You know, Absolutely. it's like, we're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. We've got it. Oh, F. This can't be happening. Yeah. You know, that, surprise. that three minute to the end catch by Edelman though will go down in history as some I I, I saw that and yeah. I was like oh I think the Patriots are gonna win this game that was yeah. the sign it, was it really was but was there like, was another catch I forget I don't know the names of these people I just know the colors of the uniform oh sure but there's that one where <laughs> it was like a really long pass and there was one Patriot and one Falcon like right on top of each other yeah and the guy caught it I was like that's really it's like threading a needle you know seriously but you know I was only yeah. watching for Lady Gaga and I, I taped Which, the whole thing. And then I was like, oh, I'll watch some of this game. And yeah. I ended up watching the whole thing. So, That's cool. I mean, good on me. I'm starting to bro up a little bit, you know? Absolutely. Good for you, yeah. Oliver. I'm, I'm going to get to Lady Gaga later on in the show. <laughs> you definitely don't want to miss that. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. Nathan, Valerie, yes. you guys are in the middle of rehearsals for The Invention of Morale Brrr. by Stuart Copeland at yes. Chicago Opera Theater. What is the plot... Nathan, in like two <laughs> sentences. So this uh, crazy um, doctor, kind of like a Bond villain, let's say, invites 
these elite people to a desert jungle island to introduce them to his invention. There's a duchess, there's a celebrity movie star, mm -hmm. there's a fantastic singer, there is a world-leading architect. This is kind of like a whodunit, you know? All of you, one of you is a murderer. It's like Clue. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, yeah. it's a Clue-like clue on thing. an island. Yes, yeah. except it has Stuart Copeland's music behind it. Mm -hmm. So you do, you get, you. it's this uh, heady, very adult, sophisticated Ooh. opera with, with amazing uh, rhythm, harmonic structure, like going to a... a, a uh, an uh, arena rock concert crossed with like Philip Glass crossed with Shostakovich. Well, okay. let's take a little wait, bit of a listen wait, wait, to the music wait, wait, wait. first, Oliver. I want to I want to get some music going right away. <laughs> yes, you're gonna have to wait. Sorry, this is a clip from the New Works Forum at Opera <laughs> America. It's from close to the beginning of the show. Uh, this was recorded last year in New York City. Let's take a listen to some of those sounds that Nathan was describing. Cut out of that already? Oh, okay. Just a flavor. You okay. don't want to give me, it all let me away, just, like, dude. Step, let's just back it up for a second. Yes, sir, just yes. one second. So, what is the big deal about this show? Is that it is a commission by the Harris Theater, and this is the first, to my knowledge, commission of the Harris Theater, and it's a world premiere. And the composer ostensibly is famous, maybe not in classical music circles, right? But if you're a child of the '80s, like maybe I am, me. Uh, yeah, uh, Stuart Copeland was an original member of the band The Police. Dude, the freaking drummer of The Police, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's written an opera and, like, you know, you know, the driving, you know, backstick. Yeah. Yeah. Rockstar! Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's him. That's him. <laughs> and okay. he's, he, he's like an honest to God Hall of Fame rock and roll musician writing an opera. Now, he's not just a rock and roll guy, he's written film scores. He wrote the score to Rumblefish, what, Wall Street. So he's, I mean, okay. he's, he's been around. His music okay. is so there. So he's got classical cred or he at least composing cred. cred. Okay. That's right. That's right. Okay. Because there are sometimes these things where people get an opportunity to write an opera because they are who they are. And they have no experience. Like Rufus Wainwright, for example. Mm. God love him. I, he's one of some of my favorite music yeah. when he was right. you know, new on the scene. Yeah. But you know, is he is he ready to put in an opera at Did I disappoint you? <laughs> Are you Does not translate. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we haven't talked to Valerie that much. I just want to say that I have been a fan of Valerie ever since uh, her Eurydice, uh, which really was a breakout performance for uh, Chicago Opera Theater and, and for you probably yourself. Uh, this was the Ricky Ian Gordon opera that uh, Chicago Opera Theater put on in 2013. Oh my gosh, I think 2013, so. yeah. which was staged at the Eckhart Park House, uh, which is a, a swimming pool. And it was beautiful. Ricky Ian Gordon's score calls for just one, it's like a monodrama with a clarinetist yeah. playing the role of Orfeo. And they had all of these swimming extras. You know, pushing you and the clarinetist. What was his name again? He was so cute. That was Todd. Okay, yeah, yeah. around in this boat. And it was just like one of the most beautiful experiences in the theater, uh, opera, anything. You know, like it was just, it was a heavenly show. And like, I have to congratulate, was it an Andreas thing? That yeah. was an Andreas yeah, okay. thing. Andreas yeah. like really put together something really special. He did. And uh, I think, you know, he, his credit to him. You know, for, for thinking to do that and finding the place and, you know, getting 
the kind of fringe feeling of the Chicago Opera Theater on track. And it was one of the first things that was like outside of the theater that people went to. The mayor was there. Absolutely. You know? I was there the mayor the day the mayor yeah. was there. So. Yeah. So that was really awesome. And then I think <laughs> that same year, mm-hmm. I saw you at Boston Early Music Festival. Yes. That was a um, busy year for me. <laughs> at uh, Elmira, yeah. uh, which is one of my favorite operas. I know nobody's ever heard of this opera, but it's Handel's first opera. And it's from his Hamburg era, yes. which means that it was written in German, but it also had... Italian, like, an Italian, yeah. big Italian artist, and it was yeah. almost, uh, yeah, it's just a bizarro show with the craziest vocal writing. And this is before Handel's Italian period, before he learned how to write for the voice. He was just doing crazy poop stuff, you know, <laughs> uh, crazy butt stuff. I meant to say, yeah. How dare you? Um, That's crazy. almost cussing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, and you played the role of Belanta. I did. Who I- was like the most beautiful woman in the court. And then you had to wear that eye patch. What's with the eye patch? I did. Yeah. So my character was sort of based on a Spanish princess who mm-hmm. actually did have an eye patch because she, when she was younger, got into a sword fight um, oh, with wow. one of her cousins. Of Thrones, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, her eye got kind of poked out. Oh, but she was still beautiful even with... With one she eye. was. That was that was the whole mystery. And then there was a... <laughs> at the end, I don't remember the end of the opera... Um, I don't know if you remember, but there was a reveal. <laughs> I oh. kind of lifted the eye patch oh. off, and it. Was oh really? Was your did they have you wear like a contact like those? <laughs> no, I just closed my eye. But it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those moments, like okay, let's do it. Oh, she's not like a huge freak. It's <laughs> opera box so on WNUR. <laughs> Valerie, what are you wearing in this show? Ooh, good question. What are you wearing in Adventure? I'm in the wearing Ralph? everyone. No, I'm wearing a bathing suit. <laughs> so you're the movie star in this show? No, oh, the, so yeah. I am. I, I mean, I am a silent movie star. I'm okay. not the main movie star, so I'm kind of a new on the scene ingenue. Okay. Um, my character is loosely based on Louise Brooks, which was a um, just magnetic person on the very early um, silent film scene. But the she was just this incredible presence in the 20s so she she started with that original bob haircut and mm-hmm. um yeah she actually went on to do a lot of german films but also the namesake of the opera lulu exactly oh. yeah really wow yeah. Right she's on. very Dropping intriguing yes. <laughs> yes. very mysterious but yeah it um i'm spend a lot of time in a bathing suit but i'm not in a pool okay <laughs> yeah bathing suit and a robe and then i have a party dress so okay Nathan, you're playing Morel. Yes. What has been the hardest part of the rehearsal process for you so far? Wow. No recordings to listen to. Yeah, the, well, that's the <laughs> the art of doing a world premiere yeah. is that there is not a CD or a, yeah. uh, you know, whatever you can you can listen to to kind of get your thing. So Morel has been... The hardest part has been getting into Morel. Mm. I'm not an evil person, so it's just you know, and neither is he. He doesn't yeah. think that he's evil, but you know, you watch a Bond film and you're you're just like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest part for me is just the, uh, you know, waiting to premiere it. I yeah, mean, you I get to really, create a role. That's pretty awesome. Uh, w- I know? mean, this. I'm so excited about this piece, not only because it's just you know, uh, I'm a super fan of of Copeland's. With an E, C O P E, Copeland. Copeland. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, but I'm, I, I really love the music of this show, and I know this thing. It, so we have no intermission. I think it's so ninety. Far. It's ninety minutes. Okay. And you, uh, from the second that you start, it you go on this roller coaster. The momentum is such that you, it it builds and builds and builds like this machinery, this heavy weight. Uh, comes upon you. You're literally on this ride until the very, very end, and all of a sudden, the sweet, sweet, gorgeous music comes up, and it kind of washes over you like, like the sea, like the ocean does, and carries you away. Literally carries you away. Hmm. It's so you guys freaking, are gonna flood the Studebaker at the end of the show. I mean, we are. <laughs> in your imagination, I cannot Surprise. say. Yeah, it, I mean, there are parts of it, like you know, when you when you think about. The um, Rigoletto, you know, when when Verdi had his had his folks say, "You can't, 
you can't talk about the opera, you can't, there are no tunes, because he knew like La Donna e Mobile was going to be something that was whistled, you know, outside in the streets. Yeah. Like um, George Lucas, you can't release any of the script. Here, mm. we actually cannot reveal what is part of the plot, what A the invention part. is. Yeah. So, okay. so people in the audience are going to be like, what? I mean, this is a mind-blowing okay. opera to wrap your mind wow. around. So that's the hardest Folks, part, George. Yeah. Okay. I already know the answer. He invented the Snuggie. <gasps> what? <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. God, it was written. Oh, wait. No, no, I wear a Snuggie. That's okay, the... so that seems to answer my opening question, which is why is this show going to be the highlight of my February? When it's been a pretty crummy February. It's been a pretty crummy January, actually, um, for obvious reasons. Oh, I mean, Swedish bakery is closing. Did you hear about what that? What is happening? What? An institution. Yeah. Mm. The suspense that you have just built, Nathan, that the reveal of that suspense, I think, is going to be the highlight of my February. And, mm. you know, this is a suspense opera. I mean, you know, you think now when you you heard this clip, you heard two fellas singing, mm -hmm. you know, kind of mysterious music. About. So, yeah, this is kind of a this is this is kind of that murder mystery. There are there isn't a murder necessarily. Um, I'm not saying anything, but but it but. <laughs> There is this, there is this suspense, this this building of tension. The great thing about this is that the music it carries you along in this this mystery caper, and then you get the reveal, and you're like, it was right in front of me the whole time. It's like the sixth sense or something like that. <gasps> yes, Bruce Willis. Oh, yes, M Night Shyamalan. Yeah, <laughs> I was doing some clickbait thing today, and I saw that Bruce Willis voted for Trump. No. Well, of yeah. course he did. Yeah. I don't. Second I mean, come rights. on. Be before we lose you, I want to just say one thing uh, for our audience that Invention Morale is selling out. So if yes. you're interested in going, get your tickets now I mean, and I've got use friends. the code Opera Box Score to get free tickets now. I'm sorry. There's <laughs> no such thing. I've um, got friends coming in already. They bought their tickets. So yeah. that's like six, six tickets gone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, George, Amber, how much time do we have left with our guests? We got, we got a couple minutes. Okay, good. I wanted Sweet. to, because uh, this is a this is true to my heart, or near to my heart. It's true and near to my heart. Oh. Uh, asking about, Valerie, um, your career kind of bifurcated, like half new music, half early music. Yeah. Do you feel like that you were prepared for that, or did you train for that, or did that just happen because of your musicianship or your tone quality or like whatever? Yeah, you know, you know I, so... I started out, I was an opera uh, apprentice at L.A. Opera, and okay. I did all the classic rep and, you know, covered yeah. Rosina and all that stuff. Okay. Um, and pretty early on, I started kind of focusing on early music, and mm -hmm. I was kind of, you know, pointed in that direction. And along with that, um, somehow along the way, as a young artist, I kept, because I have a very high, like, light, range mm -hmm. um somehow new works kind of fell into my lap and i have made a career of doing kind of these two straddling these two different worlds mm -hmm. and it's incredibly satisfying for me which is not uncommon i find a lot of people yeah. who do baroque are also doing new music yeah yeah so definitely. that that's a thing folks yeah. these days and you can be the next barbara hannigan you know just learn how to conduct <laughs> And get some really cool outfits. Right. <laughs> you can be a Barbara Hannigan again. Absolutely. <laughs> I am on it. <laughs> so what is your next project? Um, so my next project, I will be doing Handel's Radamisto um, in Madrid at the Teatro Madrid. And then I will also be doing it in Vienna. I'm so glad you said those two cities because when we promote this show on Facebook, I have to pick what city it goes to. So now I'm going to add Madrid and Vienna to Boom. our Gorgeous. distribute this ad. We this also drink every time somebody <laughs> name drops a European city, so we should probably drink. Let's have that. And Nathan, do you have something you, you're you're looking forward to after the show? I know that inventing morale or you know being the invention or whatever. Is I'm so. gonna just drop uh, a couple of things. I'm okay. actually an inventor. <laughs> okay. And I do oh, have. You? I do. Okay. I do. I have. I'm going to Kansas City to pick to pick up a new prototype, a Bluetooth device, which oh I gosh. cannot talk to you about, but it's freaking awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. And then this summer, I'm, I'm preparing. I'll be singing Triquet, my uh, premiere at Spoleto, mm -hmm. and then I'll be singing Curly. In, in Oklahoma. Is that, at oh, Mice and Men. Oh, my God. That's Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. Okay. okay. Isn't I mean, there a Curly in Of Mice and Men? There is, okay. but, you know, he's, yeah. a, he's a baritone. Okay. Yeah, I'm almost, you know, my. <laughs> and he's white. My career is, is a crazy, right? Yeah. My career is crazy. I started off 
really my hey, career. Hey, there's a curling in the Three Stooges, too, isn't there? Yeah. No, <laughs> Larry and Curly. Camacho. I started Lord. my career with Sony Classical. Okay. So, you know, I, I've come from the classical crossover world. You and Peter Gelb, yeah. Uh, well, with yeah. Peter Gelb, yeah. and I, that's just when I thought he he knew like what was going on. So uh-huh. I mean, I'm not you know, is this going to come back to haunt me? <laughs> so tell me, what did you think? No, I th- I, I think I think Gelb has uh, a very interesting uh, producer's brain. That's for sure. Okay. Um, but then I went. I just graduated with my master's degree from UCLA, oh, and I kind of learned how master. to do music. Like okay. really learn how to do music. Rather they taught you the just, notes and stuff like that. They yeah, do. it's very interesting. You the, know, when that you go, G, that little hook goes right over the G. You know? What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that. I don't know what they call the thing that dangles notes. down though. That's a uvula, right? Like. Yeah, well, that's you know sometimes <laughs> like, make you sing Wagner. So it's so my career is actually picking, it's, uh, it's picking up like the opera world. So I've done mm-hmm. in, intense tours. I've toured around the. Uh, country a number of times self-producing i've done my own shows we've like put a bunch of science behind it done projections like like you're gonna see in the, the invention of morel okay. we've got it oh uh, by the way to come to morel and yeah. come in uh, well, there's a uh, an audience vr experience oh, you can right, actually yeah. put on reality that's yes. right you can put on the 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 headphones yeah. the and, the, and the goggles and, and walk around this island right. for real. They'll, they'll take you on a just tour. Make sure you put your wallet in your front pocket when you do that. So <laughs> yeah, as long as you, yeah. you know, we won't rob you. Yeah. Uh, you just you just donate. You know, it's good. Nathan, I was going to say for our audience, you need to get yourself a couple of scarves. Like, you really need to protect your neck. So <laughs> Nathan is wearing two scarves. It's like 50 degrees in Chicago today. <laughs> and that is, I'm from Los Angeles now, man. I mean, it's freaking cold. Actually, you know, today is a... A brilliant, beautiful day. It is. Yeah. When we got out of rehearsal, the, the windows, mm-hmm. our rehearsal rooms, looks out over Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so we have like an amazing view. And we walk outside, and there's all the haze, and there are the golden, you know, uh, lamps and stuff. It's too... I was born in Chicago. Oh. To a soul singer and a government worker. So, you know, it's is uh, my native town being here. I know, I know mind-blowing. <laughs> I'm filled with villages and mystery. <laughs> Who is this Tell man? Tell me more. <laughs> Nathan Granner, Valerie Vincent. You guys, thank you so much for being on the show Some with the us. Singer. It's yeah. The Invention of Morel by Stuart Copeland. It opens February 18th. Be there or be square. Hey, we got a lot more Chicago talk after the break, including our breakdown of last weekend's Chicago Voices Gala concert keep it locked on (laughs) wnur 89.3 fm live from chicago you're listening to opera box score more right after this a biomedical scientist supported by the american health assistance foundation I conduct research aimed at discovering new and effective treatments for Alzheimer's disease. This is critical because more than a thousand Americans develop Alzheimer's every day. At our website, you can learn how to live with or care for someone with the disease. Call 1-800-437-2423 or go to ahaf.org for a free brochure on understanding Alzheimer's disease. You can always come up with an excuse for not visiting longtermcare.gov. Oh, I forgot. Game night. After all, who wants to admit that one day they will be, you know, old? Hey, do you see any crow's feet on this face? I don't. But since 70% of older Americans need some kind of long-term care, why not do some free planning now so you can stay in charge? Visit longtermcare.gov and find... Three tours driving Humvees in Afghanistan... 12 years flying choppers. When my sister came back from her last tour in Afghanistan, she didn't want to talk about it, but she knew I was there to listen. Sometimes my husband still has difficult memories. They can be overwhelming. With the Veterans Crisis Line, I know where to turn when we need support. I made the call and got support for my sister. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for all veterans and their loved ones. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Welcome back to the show. Opera Box Score on WNUR. This is George Cedarquist along with Oliver Camacho. Hello. And we lost Valerie and Nathan. 
They were so nice. It's like the air just went out of the room. No, it's just you and me. Amber. Well, Amber's here, of course. Um, but uh, no, they were great. Nathan was great. Valerie is great. Valerie is such a beautiful woman. I mean, you can just look up her website or see pictures. Like, stunningly beautiful. Links so. on our website, operaboxscore.com. Yeah. Check it out. The links to their websites, too. I cannot wait for this show. Okay. I nice really cannot there. wait for it. Um, God, I just, let me just say about the Super Bowl real quick. Okay. I, I didn't watch a minute of it. Oh, and this is the second year in a row that I haven't watched a minute of the Super Bowl. And I think it's because I find it so commercial. Literally, because there's all these commercials, right? That's one of the reasons people yeah. watch it. It's just like, that grosses me out. The other thing that grosses me out is it's a big betting thing. That's why so many people watch the Super Bowl is because there's all these bets being but placed But are you it. really just not watching it because you want to be like the counterculture person? No, man. I love football okay because i know some people who cause i don't watch football generally sure, but sure. i understand that this is like a big deal to the rest of america and Ooh, i don't true. i don't want to not watch it just so i could give the middle finger to like the rest of the world you know? i understand so your point i feel like yeah. i should know what's going on i should know what's happening at halftime yeah. especially you know and i should know about the commercials because they're going to talk about the next day you know just be informed you i know? did go back and watch some of the commercials i did go back back and watch lady gaga's halftime show I find her quite tiresome as well. Mm. I really am not a fan. Well, she of was Lady dancing Gaga. the whole time, and she was so I saw some, most of the time. You know, yeah, I yeah. know she probably had like some track auto you know, auto corrector. No, no, they just like it was like her vocal track, and she was able to like fill in when she felt like it. You can't dance like that and sing at the same time. But right. she did some really cool aerial stuff. That's like scary, scary butt stuff. You know, like, that was that yeah, was like crazy. she. I don't know how high she was. I felt like she was like on top of. Like, I don't know what the tallest building in Houston is. Was it in Houston? It was in Houston. Yeah. It was in the main stadium. Well, she was there. above the stadium. Yes. Like, for the opening of that. That singing, was crazy. My Land is Your Land or whatever, you know, which was sweet. It was I a thought, mashup, you know. right, of... Um, God Bless America or America the Beautiful or something right. like that. And that's my right. Is, yeah. And then a mashup of all her hits, you know. Was there anyone jumping off of a stadium at the Chicago Voices Gala <laughs> event? Um, I think Renee Fleming did the same thing. They put, they tied her up uh, in those like uh, lifts, you know, the cables around her armpits and stuff like that. And they <laughs> hoisted her. Yeah, of course she did the Super Bowl a couple years ago. She sang the national, national anthem, anthem she, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just uh, I guess on Saturday was this Chicago Voices concert gala 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 gala, uh, which featured Renee Fleming and Matthew Polanzani. And a bunch of people who don't sing opera, uh, like Shamika Copeland, not to be confused with Stuart Copeland or Aaron Copeland. Good point. Uh, Jesse Mueller, who is a music theater person. I don't know. Yeah, but, she's she did the show on Broadway about being a waitress. Okay. Um, was it called? Tell waitress? us, okay. tell us, Amber. What's yeah, the she show? She doesn't have a microphone. <laughs> I think it's called Waitress. Or uh, is it written by? Okay, there we go. Okay. Amber would know. Uh, there was also um, the Handsome Family Singers, John Prine, uh, you said Jesse Mueller, Terrence Howard came out from the show Empire, I guess. And um, whatchamacallit, then Jesse Jackson came out, so random. Oh, and <laughs> Lupe, Lupe random. Fiasco was there, too. Right, the rapper. Yeah. yeah. We have a little clip, actually, from the uh, Shamikia Copeland song Okay. that I want to hear. The song that she sang, this is the opener of the concert. Okay. The song is The Battle Is Over, But The War Goes On. Okay. And this is just, you know, ripped off YouTube, what have you. But This if, is on YouTube already? Uh, this is an earlier version of the song that she did. This is not from okay. the event itself. Because the event itself will be televised. Uh, I don't know exactly when, but they recorded it. So. It's on, here in Chicago, WTTW March, Channel March 30th. 11. Yeah. March 30th. Yes. I might just watch it because listening to this clip, this is the show you opener. Watch the it really set the bar. Check this out. If you sang the song the way it was written, and you march along. Beat of the drum. Someday soon, you gonna wake up singing. The battle is over, 
But the war goes on Everybody plays about a groove yeah that's a great voice that is a, a great chicago voice that's a great <laughs> so there's a review of this program uh in the chicago tribune that i think was published today and uh you can um basically hear about or read about the entire program and who's saying what and why um this is a initiative of the lyric unlimited which is the wing of lyric opera that's trying to basically build new audiences by finding potential audiences in other parts of the city that normally might not come to the opera. And I think this was largely a success. I mean, they had all these people like television stars and Broadway stars and blue stars, you know, um, on stage with Matthew Ponzani and Renee Fleming can't get more important than that in opera, you know? And so they get, those people got to hear Matthew Ponzani do his best Mario Lanz impersonation. Right. And Renee Fleming sing her, you know, doodly uh, version of uh, summertime, you know. And maybe they'll love being in that space. Maybe they'll think, wow, this is really glamorous and it's not as like, or maybe this is very warm and not as like stuck up as I thought this place would be, you know. And I I mean, I uh, totally applaud these things. I think it is important to just break the ice with some of these people, you know, and get their feet wet. But I also am concerned because I've seen this happen where, um, there's a little bit of false advertising. Right. I'm not saying this event per se, but you know, you get people to come to a show based on one aspect of the show that maybe isn't that prominent, you know? Yeah. And are they going to come back to hear, you know, Renee Fleming? Are they going to come back to hear Matthew Polanzani? If they do, is Matthew Polanzani going to be singing something like Verter or something like that, which is like a really tough opera to listen to the first time, you know? It's a question of how those dots are all going to get joined up. I was very critical of... Chicago Voices because you know it's ending mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah this was the last Chicago Voices or something that's exactly right and okay. I was critical of that it turns out I was wrong is that oh. it was always meant to be a two year initiative or I should say and this is so this is what is problematic I think about Chicago Voices is that the setup is quite complicated it's like Lyric Opera of Chicago is the big umbrella organization one wing of it is Lyric Unlimited, and one wing of Lyric Unlimited is Chicago Voices, right? Lyric Unlimited has other parts to it that is commissioning new works, small works, the piece two seasons ago that was done at the zoo. Oh, which the was Matthew Coyne show? Exactly, okay. right? Or uh, the Jason and the Argonauts yeah. by, oh, I think it was Gregory Spears. Yeah. Uh, last season, no, just, was it? Yeah, like a couple months ago, yeah. That was yeah. also an offshoot of... of Lyric Unlimited, but then there's purely the Chicago Voices, and even Chicago Voices has these little subsets. There was this big gala concert, which was a one night only. Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't happen last year. Mm, I guess not. Right? So this is once every two years. It's a biennial, I suppose. In addition to much smaller programs that Chicago Voices I think we started talking about this Renee Fleming went out and went to the hideout and like said, you know, we're going to start doing this thing and want to introduce you to other people who sing in Chicago and like try to, you know, bring them to the spotlight, even though they do fine probably in their own genre. But to draw, I think maybe to draw attention to their careers to the people that support the lyric. Yeah, know? exactly. We'll, we'll see what the next step is. I mean, certainly they went out with a bang. If this is it for Chicago Voices, they definitely went out in style. But uh, who knows if it's going to pay those dividends. If you went to Chicago Voices, please comment on our Facebook page, uh, so we can see what you thought about it and if the atmosphere was as joyful as this review in the Tribune says it was in there. And it was so, sort of weird that Jesse Jackson came out. It's supposed to not be a political no. thing, but, you know, he's a politician. So yeah. <laughs> how yeah, are you going to avoid that? So Yeah, that was that was odd. It's Opera Box score on WNUR, by the way. Um, in other Chicago news, go ahead. a press release came out on Saturday evening, like at 7 o'clock at night, like right in the middle of the evening. Like it's a good way to hide your news, I think. If, but, if we've learned anything from Donald Trump, that yeah. would be a thing. 
so um, Andreas Midasek is stepping down as um, artistic director of the uh, Chicago Opera Theater. And uh, it seems to not be an acrimonious separation. Is that a word, acrimonious? It is. Okay. Um, he is going to continue um, with the last project of the season, which is the Philip Glass opera, The uh, Perfect, Perfect American. American. And he is still going to conduct shows in the 1718 season, which has not been announced yet. I think he's going to direct a show okay. in 1718. Okay. And maybe or, he's directing yeah. and conducting the same show. That I don't know. It says directed. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe musically direct, stage direct. I don't know. He does both, you know? Um, and so Douglas Clayton, who is their um, executive director, is going to be the new general director designate while they search for their next artistic director. It seems so abrupt. It seems really abrupt. Again, I don't think it was acrimonious. What the press release said was this, is that he's stepping down when his contract ends, so he's not being fired. The contract is up. And that he said, quote, to focus on a couple of dream projects that are important to me and that I want to develop with several opera companies. It's, it's a relatively open-ended statement. I, I got a lot of dream projects <laughs> that I want to do, too, you know, with a lot of other opera companies. I mean, I'm not at his level, certainly. Uh, it just, it's, it seems a little strange. It seems a little abrupt, like right in the middle of this, not just in the middle of a season, but in the middle of a rehearsal process yeah. for a world premiere piece. That's, he's like out, uh, upstaging like this show in a way, like this, like huge news in the Chicago landscape. So for those of you who are listening, not in Chicago, Lyric Opera is obviously like the big company here. And Chicago Opera Theater has positioned itself as the second company, like the New York City Opera to to the to New York's Met, you know? It's sort of along that relationship, you know? Yeah. And it always hasn't been that way. I mean, Chicago Opera Theater started out very, very small in 1974 with, like, productions, like, with piano and stuff like that, you know, and, and small theaters. And it, it really did grow, and we had the Brian Dickey era after the originate, the founder, Alan Stone, you know, um, passed on. Um, so we had Brian Dickey, who was, like, had this famous career, and you know, really brought the profile of COT up. And then we had Andres Midasek come in and start to change the repertoire. Like, you know, it was during Brian Dickey's era, it was a lot of Britain and a lot of um, Handel. Right. And now Andres Midasek wants to do completely bizarro stuff, you know, like this Orifice you were to see in the pool. And we had Queenie Pie and we had um, that... Um, Macbeth, but the Ernest Block Macbeth, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, the Stuart Copeland thing, which, you know, sounds, you know, tonal. It sounds like it's going to be very audience friendly, but it is a new, it's a commission. It's a brand new work. So you always are going to take a gamble on something like that, you know. I don't think there could be two more different artistic directors slash general directors than Brian Dickey and Andreas Minasek. Brian Dickey was all about finding new talent, and he rarely missed. Mm -hmm. He was finding people like Sarah Coburn, the singer, Leah Partridge, the singer, Justin Way, the director, when these people's careers Daniel had Daniel Denise, not Michael Maniacci. The yeah. list goes yeah. on when their careers hadn't blown up. And he was doing relatively standard rep, right? Britain, mm -hmm. okay, 20th century, fine, but Handel, come on, that's very standard, uh, in very unique ways, but all in the Harris Theater. It mm -hmm. wasn't going outside that building. The I think Dickey was responsible, right, for getting COT into the Harris. Yeah, well, the Harris happened to, you know, uh, be built right during his era. Like, the Chicago Opera Theater was doing their performances at the Anth Athenaeum Theater. Uh, and oh, then my the God. Harris. Those Theater. are dreadful. Those were really bad. Yeah, you, were, you went to some of those? I remember the Athenaeum days of COT. Okay, yeah. I didn't mind it so much. I saw Agrippina there with Emmanuel Haim conducting, which is one of the best things I've ever seen yeah. by COT. They also did that Orfeo there, which ended up going to Brooklyn Academy of Music. So it wasn't so bad for me. And the list goes on. And then, yeah, and then here's the thing with the Harris Theater. The Harris Theater seats 1,500 people. Way too big. And, um, you know, if you're going to do Baroque opera um, and if you're going to use young voices, uh, that's a pretty big house. And plus the Harris Theater is great for dance, mm -hmm. which means that it's not a super resonant hall because you don't want to hear all those feet slamming on the ground no. all the time, you know? No. So the Harris m was not the perfect match, but they had like the, 
the staging abilities, like the uh, technical support, you know, and uh, what, what am I looking for this word? Like they had the right lights and like backstage, like whatever, the infrastructure. The machinery to, yeah, exactly, of the theater. To, to put on interesting shows. But ultimately, the audiences were never big enough to make it profitable for COT or for the Harris Theater for that matter. And so Minisec had to get the productions out of the Harris, and that's clearly the direction that the company has headed in in the last couple years. Well, that's what this season is about, is about, you know, two performances, one at the Music Box Theater and two at the Studebaker and only one at the Harris. And, yeah, it started with beginning to put on, for example, this uh, swimming pool opera in 2013. Like, you know, that was... That was a big step for them to do something outside of the Harris. So, Watch this space. I know this story is going to come up again on future shows that we do. I know this story is not going to leave this city for a while either. There's, there's too much at stake here, I feel like. And there's too much. There's too many moving parts on this. So, and Yeah, and the vacuum will be created by you know who's going to leave what organization to come do this and how am I going to capitalize on that and get a better job? That's exactly right. But also, I do want to hear from you singers, uh, especially those of you who have done the Chicago Opera Theater Young Artist Program and have worked with Minisec or who are maybe in it now. If you want to you know, send us some emails or comments anonymously, we'd love to share some of your stories. Like, How does that affect people who came to COT to work with Andres Minisec because they know that if you work with Midisec, you also are going to have this opportunity at Long Beach, you know. How does that wor- work with your apprenticeship, you know? Opera Box Score on 89.3 FM WNUR. We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, the two-minute drill. Get your opera headlines coming up after this. <laughs> Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. What? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Cell phones? May not work. Emergency water? Not a drop. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated. The library. On Jones House. The bus stop. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Great. It sounds like we don't have a plan. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov slash kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hi, just wait for the inheritance. We've definitely got a rich uncle somewhere. We're one call away from the winner's circle at the Derby, dinners with multiple forks, a vacation home in the country, using summer as a verb. You don't actually think that, do you? When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Well, I finally improved my credit score. What? The band is about to be discovered. Rock gods don't need to worry about credit scores. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, make ridiculous on-tour requests, tragically break up and blame creative differences. Yeah, I'm not banking my retirement on a band that's never left your garage. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. This just in, the two-minute drill. Watch out. Here comes everything you need to know about opera headlines from the past week in two minutes. Tops. There were boos on two successive nights last week at the Vienna State Opera. The first was a lone protester who had something against the conductor. The second was against director Daniele Abbado's new production of Verdi's Il Trovatore. Mezzo-soprano Jamie Barton has won the Beverly Sills Award, the Metropolitan Opera's $50,000 annual prize for a young singer. She plays the witch Jezzy Baba in a new production of Dvorak's Ruzalka at the Met this month. More awards. The finalists for the 2017 International Opera Awards have been announced. American notables include Lyric Opera of Chicago for Best Chorus and Best Education and Outreach Program. Lawrence Brownlee, Eric Owens, and Matthew Polanzani for Best Male Singer. Zariaho's L'Amour de Loin for Best New Production. Missy Mazzoli's Breaking the Waves for Best World Premiere. And mezzo-soprano Janai Bridges for Best Young Singer. The awards ceremony is in May. 
Christoph von Donjani, a personal statement was issued by him. He's the music director emeritus at the Cleveland Orchestra. This statement is a scathing anti-Trump response. More in when we unpack the headlines in a minute. Over to the disabled list. Roberto Aranicha will take over the role of Don Jose this week in Bizet's Carmen at the Met. Marcello Alvarez is ill. This is the second time that uh, Alvarez has fallen sick. On this day in 1813, the premiere of Rossini's Tancrede, and in 1959, Poulenc's premiere La Voix Humaine. Last week, it was Philip Glass's 80th birthday. This week, soprano Leontine Price turns 90. That's the two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho. I think you're talking about Roberto Aronica? Yes. Okay. That's correct. Just correcting a little pronunciation there for those of you who... I, I put the stress on the wrong syllable. Okay. <laughs> There's no ch in that. It's he's Hispanic, and so it's a. See, I mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. I think you might have a bad spelling of his name. So, I just don't. I'm think... I'm just retracting all of it, everything you say right now. I just think my German's my strongest language. <laughs> okay. I'll put it. I'll put it that way. You're like the misinformation of opera. <laughs> have you ever <laughs> booed at an opera production? No, I mean, I there have been times I've wanted to boo, but um, I have too much respect for the performers who whether or not they did a good job uh whether or not their heart's in it like they're up there and you have to do a certain amount of work just to be up there you know um granted there are some people who are maybe lazy and don't put in the effort for a a particular performance or whatever but you're still up there you're still you know making yourself very vulnerable to an audience and you have to learn the darn thing you know so booing is just not that's not cool. It's know? the same way if you're a director and when at the opening night of a sh- opera, the director and his or her design team will come out and take a bow and they can be booed yeah. if the audience doesn't like the production. If they Usually they think the production is too postmodern or too crazy or wild or whatever. And again, like... Except in Germany, they boo when it's too traditional, right? <laughs> I've seen that too, yeah. actually. Uh, but hello, people, that's not the way to engage in an intelligent conversation about art, just so you know booing like that that has virtually no impact so find a better way to communicate what your opinion i mean in europe maybe especially in germany since those productions are funded by the state booing might be the only way to to get your opinion across but here in the in the united states the only people you really have to please are the rich people in the first five rows like if you make them happy you're going to be just fine you know as a company so I wanted to cycle back to last week's show a little bit where we talked about Norma. I got to see Norma after the show mm-hmm. we did last week. So I saw it Wednesday night. And let me just say, Sandra Radvanovsky. Radvanovsky yeah. out of this world yeah, it good. Was a really great performance. Yeah. That was crazy good. Yeah. Just and I wish I had the words to describe the way she sings. Mm. You know how to describe that? I I can't really. Just it was pretty. It was more than pretty. It was so <laughs> controlled. Yeah. And it showed a lot of range, like range, actual, actual range of high and low, but also of dynamics and of emotional expression. You know, it's a it's a very comprehensive. She showed so. how hard that role is because she hit a home run doing it. And she didn't make it look easy. You know, like it was work. Yeah. And it should be work. Yeah. I just it was. I don't think anybody in the history of opera has ever made Norma sound easy. Probably like it's, not. Yeah, it's not a role that should be easy. <laughs> but is she, is she kind of now sort of the world's leading Norma? Yeah, her say? and Angela Mead are the two singers yeah. who are yeah the, the preeminent interpreters of that role right now. And there's that Ludmila Monostroyska who's doing it. Uh, I think we talked about it in Houston or one of those companies coming up this next year. Um, I'm sure it's going to be fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Critics would say that the production was static. And Kevin Newbray, in his program note, actually argues against that. And he says, look, this is very difficult music. 
especially for Norma. And it requires a certain simplicity of the staging, and it requires a lot of connection between the conductor and the singer playing Norma. And so I, I totally agreed with that. I agree with that sentiment as well. Um, if it's too busy, if there's too much physical action that's required, I actually thought there was a couple of scenes that had too much busyness. Like I wanted to just be able to deliver. This is some of the hardest music ever written for the human voice. And you have to be able to like give it to us beautifully. And so I have no problem with park and bark in this type of show. You know, there's plenty of, people that can do stuff around you while you just stand there and sing this. Well, and there is a chorus and the chorus are moving. And the way that this production was designed was that about halfway uh, the depth of the stage was this huge portcullis, basically this door that could open up and down and it could also open left to right and a smaller door within it could also open. And then upstage of that was this beautifully lit cyclorama uh, and this forest of trees, and these trees were getting chopped Which down. Which so d- much like the Luci de Lammermoor set. Almost the exact same I set. I can't speak to okay. that. I, I don't not believe you, Okay, because you saw it. Yeah, obviously. I was like, is this the same opera? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you saying that last yeah. week, actually. Yeah. But but that was, for me, that was the movement. The movement of the piece was in that door. The movement of the piece was in the way that those trees were chopped down, and the movement okay, of so the piece you was got, in the course. I'm glad you got that, because I didn't get that. Like, yeah. I was maybe focused too much on the singers, but what did that mean to you, the trees being chopped down? I mean, I felt like this was a culture, a, a druid culture that mm-hmm. was built on its relationship to Mother Earth and to the Earth. And when, okay. when the Earth suffered, that was the equivalent of Norma suffering and vice okay. versa. Okay. So what about this branch that was like hanging as like a set piece like in the second act? Well, like... that is the the holy mistletoe, right? Okay, that is... Yeah. That is in, I. Mistletoe. Mistletoe is a, a parasite. Oh. It's these little white berries and they, they fall into like the crooks of the trees' uh-huh. branches. Yeah. And then they get rained on, they get wet. And that's how they start to grow their own things. It's a parasitic okay. thing. It's wow. beautiful. When I lived in Germany, it was everywhere on all the trees. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I'm still jury's still out on what that image meant, that horizontal big yeah. branch, which was eventually taken down, I think, yeah, by I the was course, like, I thought they were like going to hang curtains on it or something like that, you know, so. Yeah, jury's and still what, up. And what about the scaffolding that was carted around? Yeah, like where, I think, like, where Norma made her, you know. That's her, an old theater trick, just to like, yeah. to give your diva a level so that yeah. you can really see her. But did you feel like it fit with the production? I don't think it was out of place. It felt yeah. rustic in the yeah. way the whole design felt rustic. Mm-hmm. Designer, by the way, David Corrins, who also designed Hamilton. Mm. Uh, yeah, I know that made that made sense to me. Okay. And this idea that they were building this sort of Taurus-like bull. Yeah. During the course of the piece, that was happening off stage, and at the very end, it was brought on, and that was the altar on which uh, Polione and and what was the altar shape like? A bull. A bull, okay. I thought it was a horse. Ah, uh, I would have said a bull. Okay, cool. Well, that makes that better. Uh, I'm glad you think it was a bull because I thought it was a horse and it reminded me of the Trojans. Of Trojan. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Christophe Donagny, it's a hard last name. Uh, we're <laughs> going to our favorite website, Slip Disc, for this. I'm sure it's published somewhere else, but um, as you said, this was published today in uh, Slip Disc. It's from... Uh, the maestro who used to be the conductor of uh, Cleveland Orchestra. And he basically says in this that, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, with having, you know, whatever, uh, parents that were killed in concentration camps in the Second World War. And I see where this is going, you know. And it's a warning, you know, to uh, to people who are listening. It's like, you know, stand up, do something. Don't, don't be passive about this, you know. Good I mean, for he's, him. He's not... The most important person in the world. But I mean, like, he's speaking to us, you know, to us artists, you know. Enough people like him of his stature and above his stature will continue to speak out and will continue to get their little quorum of people. Whoever it is that they speak to, they're going to mobilize those people. And if enough of these speakers mobilize enough people, we're going to have some serious clout and some serious action, some serious bodies to continue to confront this this administration. So I absolutely support that 100%. I cannot wait for the International Opera Awards. I know I mocked them the last Hymans. year. Yeah. yeah. Is that what they... No. 
Well, the the guy who I think created the awards is called like Robert Hyman or something like that. Oh, so God. we've been calling them the Hymans. So yeah, uh, I'm actually excited now. Most just there's a couple lyric nominations in there. Missy Mazzoli is in there. Janai Bridges. This is great. I, I don't know if these Americans have a chance. I mean, it's a very Eurocentric awards yeah. ceremony, so we'll we'll see if they ever actually get a shot or not. Uh, we just missed Philip Glass's birthday. You know, last week it was the day after the show. Yeah, did week. I mention it? You Phillip, did. I, just, I said Philip Glass I, and Schubert. I wanted to do a bigger thing. I wanted to okay. play some of his music or talk about him so in, wait till in next some year? way. Yeah, and then he's going to be 81, and then yeah. it's no big deal. Yeah. But then... Um, Lantine Price turned 90. I know. Or is, we should, is turning. We should definitely listen to that. Yeah. And Felix Mendelssohn just had a birthday the other day. It's like, so many people have birthdays. Go figure. January, February, it's a big month. Yeah, Felix Mendelssohn did not write an opera, to my knowledge. Maybe he did. We just don't know it. So. Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream wasn't an opera that he wrote, no, it's right? Like it was a, a like orchestral. Ballet, or yeah. Yeah. Was it a ballet? Or There's some singing in it, but it's, okay. not, it's not an it's opera. Not really, so. It's not really a thing. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, Jamie Barton. We were talking on her the show last week. 50 grand. What would you do with 50 grand, Oliver? Pay off my credit cards. Okay. And then with the $4 I had left, <laughs> I'd <laughs> buy myself a, a smoothie. <laughs> a really good kale smoothie. Yeah. Um, no, that'd be great. I mean, I would, I would love to um, support many different organizations that have been very meaningful to me in my, you know, um, edification is that yeah. a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would give money to Amherst Early Music Festival. I'm going to start drinking every time you use a word that has four or more syllables. <laughs> you know, Northwestern keeps asking me for money, and I don't yeah. think it's going to happen for a while, Northwestern, yeah. so stop yeah. calling yeah. me. <laughs> uh, but there are there are some some organizations that really do such great work that I would love to be able to support them. So. This production of Ruzalka that she's in, it's directed mm-hmm. by Mary Zimmerman, who mm-hmm. is a mentor of mine and is on the faculty, actually, at Northwestern. Mm. I, I cannot wait to see it. I'm going to go to the Met HD broadcast. I can't go to the live one, but I'm going to go to the uh, Encore okay. one. It looks just beautiful. It's new. Brand new. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, they just did Ruzalka in HD not long ago, like maybe last year. With uh, Eric Owens and Dolores Ajik and I forget who the Rosalka was. Oh, Christine Opelair or something like that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. uh, I'm, surprised. Hmm. I'm surprised that they're doing this so soon, so soon again. So. Well, okay. So when you say new, I mean, it, I think it sounds like it's the same production, obviously. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if there's a newer production than the one you're talking about. So no, no, no. You're right. This is a new. This is an entirely new production because I saw in during Romeo and Juliet a couple weeks ago they were previewing some of the yeah. the new costumes and stuff like that. So yeah, I guess it's a production. So go figure. That's all we got for the two-minute drill. It's time to wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. What an hour it's been. Nathan Graner. Valerie. He's a funny guy. Vinzant. Yeah, she's a she's gorgeous. Woman. Yes. It's great. He's also a beautiful woman. We should go ahead and say that, you know. And he and Valerie is a very funny guy as well. So the invention of Morel at Chicago Opera Theater. It opens up in a couple weeks. Be sure to go see so it. That's your good call. Uh, sure, that can be my good call. Nice. I already ranted about the Super Bowl, so yeah. to do that again for bad call would be lame. Uh, I'm gonna like break some ethical rule that we kind Just of unspoken. don't swear. Um, Otherwise, unspoken ethical you, rule. You can... I want you all to look up um, Chicago in the Chicago trip. Go to your search engine. And uh, use the words les arts florissant, L-E-S-A-R-T-S-F-L-O-R-I-S-S-A-N-T-S. And you'll find an article from the Chicago Tribune where I was interviewed by one of the suburban branches of the Tribune about my upcoming project on February 19th. Nice. I'm producing a concert version of Charpentier's chamber opera, Les Arts Florissant, which is very timely. It's about how discord can disrupt the flourishing of the uh, cultured arts, of the learned arts, and how we must have peace in order for the arts to prevail. Beautiful. So this is very timely, and I want you to help me if you can (laughs) um, by going to vox3.org and looking for the support link. Uh, We're about halfway to our goal so that I can pay my artists, and then we will be shopping it around um, to produce it uh, in the stage version hopefully this fall. But anyway, 
Uh, yes, the good call is that Chicago Tribune interviewed me, and that's great publicity for the show. So I'm recommending that you find that article and read it. <laughs> that's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Amber Carter is our sound technician. At WNUR, the programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brack Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share and comment on our posts, and tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Just give us 30 seconds of your time and leave a review on iTunes. It's the cheapest and it's the fastest way to promote our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even though there's apparently six more weeks of winter. We're back next Monday night at 9 Central when we talk with stage director Amy Stebbins and composer Hauke Berheide. They've just returned to the U.S. after a year of working in Germany. Oliver will no doubt be getting his drink on. Street Beak is up next with DJ Joe. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment. <laughs>